Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. In Macedonia, Iowa, less than 300 people reside. One of those was 37-year-old Carrie Farver. She grew up there with her mother Nancy and stepfather Mark. She talked or texted with her mother every day. Although no longer married, she had a reminder of her ex-husband from when they got matching yin-yang tattoos. His on his calf, hers on her hip. She had another tattoo, the Chinese symbol for mother, on her left foot. Carrie had a teenage son and had just gotten a job as a computer programmer for a big tech company, less than an hour's drive across the border in Omaha, Nebraska. In the mid-90s, online dating had become a big thing. Using Match.com, eHarmony, or Grindr, among others, people met with a swipe of a finger. Among those in Omaha was Shanna Elizabeth Golier, who went by the name of Liz. In September 2010, she met Todd Butterbaugh, and the company began dating exclusively, or so he thought. Dave Krupa also resided in Omaha. He just moved there after he accepted a job managing an auto repair shop. He'd been in a long-term relationship with Amy Flora. The couple had two young children together and remained friends after their breakup. Dave wasn't sure how to get back into the dating game and thought he'd try internet dating. In the summer of 2012, Liz was shopping for a second boyfriend, using an online dating service, where she met Dave. Liz was the first person he met online, and he was up front with her and told her that he was only interested in a casual relationship and that he dated other women. But soon after they began dating, Liz wanted more. In a short time, she had become obsessed with Dave and pressured him to stop dating other women. But instead... Dave broke up with her. Liz retaliated by constantly calling and texting him, and Dave did his best to ignore her. In an interview with NBC's Dateline, Dave talked about the first time he met Carrie. In the fall of 2012, she'd brought her Ford Explorer into the garage where he worked. He was immediately smitten, and there seemed to be a spark between them. But he didn't act on it. It would be unprofessional for him to ask out a customer, so he didn't. A few weeks later, he was on a dating site when he saw her profile. A pretty woman with long brown hair, sparkling hazel eyes, and an easy smile. On their first date, it was Carrie who told him that she wanted to keep it casual. Dave was ecstatic. He'd found his dream relationship. Court records reported that he and Carrie were having dinner at a local restaurant when his phone began blowing up with calls and text messages from Liz. 
Initially, he tried to not pay attention to them, but there were just too many. Eventually, he answered and told her that he was on a date. Later that evening, when Dave and Carrie went to his apartment, Liz showed up and rang the building's front doorbell. Dave left the apartment and went to meet her. She was upset and crying and insisted that he let her in so that she could retrieve some of her things. Dave went back to his apartment and explained the situation to Carrie, who was understanding and said she'd leave. As she left, she walked past Liz standing by the front door, then hopped in to her Ford Explorer. Over the next two weeks, Carrie and Dave continued to see each other. So did Liz and Dave. Liz began to stalk her rival and created a fake Facebook account and sent Carrie a friend request. Then, on November 9th, while Carrie's Ford Explorer was parked in Macedonia, someone vandalized it with spray paint. A few days later, Carrie had a big project at work that would last all week, so she asked Dave if she could stay at his apartment because it was close to where she worked, and he agreed. So she arranged for her son to stay with her mother and stepfather. On Monday, November 12th, Carrie went to work, put in a long day, and left around 8 p.m. The next morning at 6.15, she was awake and on her computer. Five minutes later, Dave kissed her goodbye as he left for work. No one knows for sure exactly what happened, but Liz met up with Carrie. Liz stabbed Carrie in her Ford Explorer. She then wrapped her body in a tarp. Later, she burned it and disposed of it in the garbage. Liz then scrubbed Carrie's vehicle clean. Then, she went to Carrie's home. At 9.54 a.m., someone used Carrie's Facebook account and unfriended Dave. A few minutes later, Dave got a text from Carrie's phone asking him if he wanted to live together. This shocked Dave. It didn't make any sense. They had agreed that their relationship was just casual, so he texted her back, uh, no. He immediately got a text back. She was breaking up with him and had found someone else. Later that day, Carrie's mom got a text from her saying that she'd found a new job in Kansas. The unexpected news surprised her mother. Over the next few days, she texted her numerous times asking her questions, including when she was returning to pick up her son. But Carrie didn't reply. Then Carrie's boss received a text that she'd resigned, and in an odd twist, stated that she was sending Liz Goyer to replace her. And sure enough, later that day, Liz submitted an employment application online. On Friday, it had been four days since Carrie had last been seen. Her debit card was used at two retail stores in Omaha, spending almost $400. One of the purchases was for a shower curtain with a distinctive black and white floral pattern. Her mother reported Carrie missing, the next day, she received another text from her daughter's phone. It contained a photo of a check for $5,000 made out to Carrie from Liz. 
She said that she sold her bedroom furniture and asked her to let Liz into her home to pick it up. Carrie's mother was instantly suspicious and called police, who then contacted Carrie's cell phone provider and pinged her cell phone. They narrowed it down to a location in Omaha, not far from Liz's home. But their search failed to locate Carrie or her phone. Carrie's mother and her son continued to receive texts from her. Her mother repeatedly asked Carrie to call her, but she never did. Liz copied photos from Carrie's Facebook account and created a fake account. Then pretending to be her, she made posts and sent messages. She used those same photos and created dating profiles for Carrie. Posing as Carrie, Liz wrote text messages to herself and Dave and used an app to schedule them so they would arrive when they were together. The messages appeared to come from 30 different numbers. The tone was threatening and harassing. Then she emailed Dave. Using 30 different email accounts, she sent up to 60 messages a day. All the while, Todd and Liz were still a couple. Todd and Dave didn't know about each other, but that was about to change. Court records revealed that in January 2013, Todd had begun receiving text messages from Carrie too, saying that she was a friend of Liz's and that she had provided his number in case of an emergency. Todd asked Liz about the text, and she confirmed that she and Carrie were friends. Police received consent from both Dave and Liz to download their cell phones so they could track the texts and emails sent by Carrie. After police downloaded Liz's phone records, Todd was made aware of Dave. Liz brushed it off saying that she had dated Dave before her and Todd got together and that they had remained friends. Then on the way home from work one day, Dave saw a Ford Explorer in a parking lot in his apartment complex and thought it was Carrie's and notified police. And sure enough, it was. Crime scene technicians checked it for fingerprints and noticed that it was fairly clean. But a single fingerprint was found on a mint container and a cup holder. It was run through the national database, but its identity was unknown. Twice in early 2013, Liz reported to police that her property had been vandalized and alleged that it was Carrie. Meanwhile, Nancy received a call from a man who said he'd seen her daughter in a homeless shelter and that she wanted Nancy to pick her up. Nancy raced to the shelter along with investigators only to discover Carrie had never been there. In July, Dave's property was vandalized and a brick was thrown through his apartment window. After each event, he or Liz, or sometimes both of them, received an email or text from Carrie claiming she was responsible. A pattern was emerging, but Dave didn't see it. Every time he distanced himself from Liz, an act of vandalism would occur and the event would draw them back together. Liz and her children were being evicted from the rental house 
so she broke up with Dave and moved in with Todd. On April 16th, Liz and her children spent the night at Todd's, and the next morning when she returned to pick up some of their things, her house was on fire. Four of her pets were still inside, two dogs, a cat, and a snake, all cherished in the fire. Investigators determined that the fire had been intentional and identified six different spots where a fire had been set. Soon, both Dave and Liz received emails from Carrie, who claimed she'd started the fire. Dave was scared and purchased a 9mm Smith & Wesson pistol for protection. Dave and Liz got back together. He changed his phone number numerous times, but the texts and emails continued. ABC News reported that one of the texts stated, My favorite thing to do is stand outside and stare at you. Over time, the messages changed from jealous to threatening. Another read, I hate you so much that I want to drive a knife into your heart. And another said, I will destroy your life and take your happiness. Then Dave's ex-wife, Flora, started receiving harassing messages via text and Facebook from Carrie. They, too, took on an eerie tone, inferring that she was being watched. In October and December, Dave's property was vandalized again. And again, messages from Carrie claimed that she was responsible. The messages from Carrie kept coming. One said, I will do what I can to make you suffer. And we belong together, Dave. For two more years, the text messages and emails continued, while police found no trace of Carrie. Her case went cold until the spring of 2015, when two detectives who had never worked on her case examined it with fresh eyes. Detectives Ryan Avis and Jim Doty used an interesting approach. One of them tackled it as if Carrie were still alive, the other as if she were dead and they would go where the evidence would take them. They came to the conclusion that they didn't think she was alive, and they noticed that the case's focus had turned from Carrie being missing to Carrie harassing people. And in those many reports, Liz's name was mentioned numerous times, and she became a person of interest. The two detectives enlisted Anthony Cava a digital forensics administrator at the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office, into reviewing the data downloaded from Dave and Liz's phones two years earlier. He determined that the messages hadn't come from Carrie, but someone posing as her. The detectives, along with Anthony, began to connect the dots. And remember that fingerprint found on the mint container in Carrie's vehicle? Investigators now identified it as belonging to Liz. At some point, Dave realized his pistol had been stolen and reported it to police. In October, Todd and Liz broke up. A month later, David and Liz broke up. A few weeks later, on Friday, December 4th, Liz walked into the police station. 
police were stunned that she was standing before them. She told them that Flora had been harassing her with texts and Facebook messages, and that she now suspected it had been Flora harassing her and Dave all these years, and not Carrie. And then she said something unusual. She mentioned that she was aware Dave's gun was missing, and suggested Flora had stolen it. During their investigation, police received consent from Liz to download her cell phone. After reviewing the messages, an officer told her they would be speaking to Flora on Monday. But Liz couldn't wait until then. On Saturday morning, she reported to the officer that she'd received more harassing messages from Flora. That evening, in the darkness, Liz drove to Big Lake Park. Her car was the only one in the deserted parking lot. She exited the car and pulled out a pistol, shot herself in the left thigh, then called 911. Liz told police Flora had shot her, so police visited Flora at her home. She opened the door to see officers' guns pointed directly at her. She cooperated and answered their questions while they noticed that her car was cold to the touch. Over the next few days, Liz's account of the shooting was inconsistent. Police received consent from both Flora and Dave to download their cell phones. Court records revealed that a digital forensic investigator discovered that the emails supposedly sent from Carrie to Dave were sent from an IP address at Todd's residence, and it was during the time period that Liz had lived with him and had access to his Wi-Fi and laptop. The crime scene technician who originally examined Carrie's vehicle processed it again. This time, she was looking for blood, but found none. Then Dave moved in with Flora and their two children. This upset Liz, and she contacted police, furious that Flora had not been charged with shooting her. Liz claimed she'd received more harassing emails from Flora and that they contained details of Carrie's murder, details that only the murderer would know. Police received Liz's consent to download her cell phone and retrieve the email confessions of Carrie's murder, the fire at Liz's home, and the shooting of Liz in the park. In one of the emails Flora sent to Liz, she described the yin-yang tattoo on Carrie's hip, details that had never been released to the public. Police also found a photo of Carrie's Ford Explorer taken December 24th, six weeks after her murder, but before her vehicle had been found. The crime scene technician examined Carrie's vehicle a third time. This time, she removed the cloth seat covers and discovered a large red stain on the passenger side seat. DNA testing confirmed it was Carrie. Investigators obtained search warrants for Liz's apartment, Todd's residence, and the storage unit where Carrie's mother had moved her belongings to. At Liz's apartment, they discovered the distinct black and white flower shower curtain purchased with Carrie's debit card. They also found a Nikon digital camera, Sony camcorder, and memory cards. 
In the storage unit with Carrie's belongings, they found the owner's manuals to a Nikon camera and Sony camcorder, along with their original receipts from when Carrie purchased them a month before her murder. They were a match to the camera and camcorder found at Liz's. On December 22nd, Liz was finally arrested for Carrie's murder. Detectives estimated that she had spent 40 to 50 hours a week stalking people and sending messages pretending to be Carrie. In February 2017, Dave turned over a tablet to police that Liz had access to when they were dating. The SD memory card didn't contain any files, but the forensic digital examiner found evidence it had been used in Liz's cell phone and was able to recover the deleted files. And there were a lot of them, over 13,000 photos and text messages. Court records revealed that images on the SD card were linked to Carrie's murder. One photo appeared to show a tarp. In another, there is a flesh-covered object with a Chinese symbol. A forensic pathologist's opinion was that it was the top part of a human left foot and that it was in a state of decomposition. Another analyst compared the photo to one supplied by Carrie's mother and identified the tattoo symbol as being consistent in both photos. Liz waived a jury trial and opted for a trial by judge. Her defense did not present any evidence on her behalf and she did not contest the forensic evidence that linked her to the imposter accounts for emails, texts, and Facebook messages. Dave testified for the prosecution and read out loud a few of the 12,000 emails sent by Liz while impersonating Carrie. Liz was convicted of first-degree murder and second-degree arson. In August 2017, she was sentenced to life in prison for Carrie's murder and 18 to 20 years for arson. She appealed her conviction and lost. Carrie's family and friends will no longer receive messages from the grave, and Carrie can finally rest in peace. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Darren Hooneman. His grandmother spoils him, but it wasn't enough. He wanted more. Her will stated he would get half her estate and his mother the other half. He hired two high school students to murder them both so he could have it all. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>